Welcome to our newest adventure for first responder wellness. No one fights alone. In-depth conversations about mental health and culture in the first responder space. We're joined by your co-hosts, Austin Pedersen and Brad Shepard. Welcome back everyone to the No One Fights Alone podcast. Uh, Austin, good morning. How are you? Morning, man. I'm good. I'm good. It's, it's, I always like doing Fridays cause this is our podcast day. And so I, I really enjoy getting to meet new people, see new projects. You know, this one particular today, uh, I always forget that we are in 2023 and technology is so much different than it was 10 years ago. And, and because of that, that carries over into this space, into the wellness space for first responders. Absolutely. And, and there's so many, um, there's so many tools out there now in the digital age, uh, and that's what's really cool about today and the guest we have on to uh, to speak. And I don't think we should waste any time talking any further about it. I think we should introduce uh, Nick Fiorita. Did I get that right, Nick? Fiorito. Fiorito, like a Dorito. Fiorito. Sorry. Yeah. Brad can't say last name. I can't. Just so you're aware. I, I, I botch them up every time, Nick. Sorry. Nick is the uh, chief strategy officer for uh, First Responder Mental Health, and uh, I'm excited, Austin, today to to let Nick tell us a little bit about uh, this, some of the exciting things that uh, this company has has got going. So, uh, welcome, Nick. Glad to have you. Awesome. Thanks for having me. So, I always there's this old thing, Nick, that you know, especially in recovery and in mental health, that the, the phone weighs a thousand pounds when people come to to make a phone call. And I want you to go into a little bit about uh, your company and also the app. But, you know, the main thing is this is a, a thing for, for people to bypass, you know, that that old saying, right? You know, they can go directly in and, you know, I'm sure they can do anonymous. They can do, you know, anything they want. So uh, give us an idea of, you know, first off, how you guys started uh, in this space. I know we talked before. It's kind of on purpose accident, which is I feel like how everyone gets into this space. But uh Give us a little overview. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks again for having me. And it is it is a really neat story of how we even got involved in the first responder wellness and peer support space to begin with. And um, as a software company, uh, we started the software company in 2009, but it wasn't until about 2018 that we were made aware of kind of the needs in this space. Um, the previous work we were doing was in heavy industry, in mining, in utilities, and linking up key performance indicators, dashboards, um, really getting a lot of metrics for folks. And when our local um, EMS service actually came to us with a kind of newly formed peer team, having some difficulties, wanted to be more proactive, wanting to get some stats and metrics out of that, we thought, hey, this is a really um, neat opportunity just to build something. It was almost pro bono. Uh, we definitely didn't know what we were getting into at the time for our local group, which was quite geographically dispersed across hundreds of miles, kilometers. It doesn't matter on the uh, conversion, it's hundreds, uh, the group, the geographic area that they serve. So we built that with them and we launched it in uh, 2019, May of 2019, and didn't really think it would become um, its own thing, its own product. Uh, but as more groups started to hear about it and use it, it spread um, first up in Canada, in Ontario, and then uh, I continued um, throughout a bit more of Canada and then down into the States through Minnesota. And now we're kind of all across the board. So um, that's the that's the story of how the first kind of iteration of the of the project, as we called it at the time, uh, Peer Connect started. Uh, but obviously, since then, it's grown. And as more and more groups use it, the really exciting thing is that we've not uh, taken a step back from the development. We just keep um, hearing how it's being used, hearing people come across different scenarios, different use cases, um, you know, different ways that they want to view a report or, you know, that the wellness coordinator has to, has to meet in front of a committee or a chief and say, you know, what have I been doing for the last six months or year? So we're really excited about how we can equip people with that information, uh, but also in a way that honors the frontline members that don't want the chief to know how many times they met with EAP or the peer support team, right? So that finding that balance and working with with the actual members and users has been really important and really exciting just to meet so many people while we're doing it. So that's kind of the backstory. That that is sounds like you've done some really ground floor work on uh, the community, uh, especially from not being ingrained in the community. You've certainly uh, done a lot of study and research because you're already talking about 
cultural things that are that are uh, preventative to someone actually reaching out. So, well, tell us how it works. Tell tell us what uh, tell us what what this thing really is. Yeah. So in the beginning, and even now, um, we would uh, link up with a singular department. So you know, a police department, a fire, EMS, um, some corrections clients. And they would use the system to run their internal peer support team. So for example, you know, they may have 200 staff, they have 15 peer supports. How do we engage the peer supports a little more often? I like your line of uh, the phone weighs a thousand pounds. How do we start to do something a little bit smarter in terms of scheduling, in terms of automating some follow-ups after critical incidents, or even just giving people the ability to, you know, recommend someone or refer someone to the peer support team when they notice, hey, my partner in the truck, you know, has been kind of down recently. I think someone should check in on them. So we are um, pretty spe- pretty peer support specific. It's a mouthful. Um, but of course, along with that, we have included items like a resource bank, like a services, a library, uh, things that are really growing and taking shape because obviously not everyone has an internal peer support team. Um, but what we've been doing more lately and what we find the trend has been is for smaller groups to band together, um, and create kind of regional partnerships or regional consortiums of peer supports. We just had a group, um, in Washington state, uh, sign up yesterday. And as a matter of fact, where they have put together 11 volunteer fire departments come together, created their own nonprofit consortium, and they're going to be using peer connect as kind of the background backbone to manage um, how they're, how they're doing peer support across these 11 services, which is really cool because now it's providing access to groups of all different sizes, not just the larger metropolitan city, uh, type organizations that have, you know, generally more resources. They have an internal team, things like that. In terms of the actual, uh, nuts and bolts of it, there's kind of three ways that people would connect to peer support. Uh, they can push a button and that simply, um, notifies the peer support team. Now, a nuance to that, which we didn't think of, which obviously came from groups using it, is that if you have 10 peer supports in your organization, the chances that you get along perfectly with all 10, they may be great and they may not be as good, right? So what each person, yeah, so, so what each person can do, they can actually in their profile, they can have a look, they can read the bios of each peer support, whether their organization has 10, 20, 30, whatever. They can read those bios and they can say, Hey, you know, Austin, I'm going to keep him on my personal team, Brad. I don't know. I just, I don't know if, you know, maybe we worked together for the last 10 years and uh, I'm tired of hearing his voice, whatever the case is. I don't have to explain it to anyone because that's, that's pretty common. Nick, by the right? way, that's pretty common for people <laughs> no. to say about me. Yeah. Just the order on the screen. Yeah. I picked on you second. Sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm sick and tired of hearing that guy. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so each individual can actually curate and create their own custom secret peer support team out of the available members. And so that's really cool in a, in a singular department with the internal team, but that also works when we have multiple teams kind of mixing together. So you kind of create your own secret SWAT team of who's on your peer team so that when you do get to the point where you would like to like to talk to someone, you push that button, only those people. So if I had 10, but I removed two, only eight of them would be notified. And one of the nice things as well with the system and what we're hearing the feedback is that it takes a lot of, a lot less time coordinating, playing phone tag, all of that, because as soon as I push my button and those eight people are notified, one of them can look at it and say, yeah, I've got some time. I'll talk to Nick. They hit a button, they commit to it, which is kind of where our our motto kind of came accidentally out of this commit to connect when they commit to it, it goes away for the other seven, let's say, and You know, if you're 10 seconds later looking at that, you just see, oh, it's been taken care of. You don't know who took it, so you can't follow up and and we're trying to eliminate that gossip kind of thing that can happen. So it's just taken care of. Now, if you've committed to it, then you get that person's um, preferred contact method. You can make the call, you can meet them for coffee, whatever. We actually stay out of the actual conversation itself. So it's not a chat app on purpose so that no one can say, well, you know, the administration or the chief logged in and could see what I talked to Austin, my peer support about. So those conversations still happen analog, you could say, outside of the system, over coffee, over the phone, whatever. We just make sure they happen. So it's almost like peer support dispatch or peer support management system. So that's that's if I want to reach out myself, right? Which as we know and as we found is 
less likely than some other ways because you know that that does take a step now we find it's more utilized than than a phone number because you're not going one-on-one but you're kind of paging a team but still that's going to be more rare than some of the other ways that people connect so another way that people can connect is that again as i mentioned it's it's role specific or you have different permissions based on who you are in an organization so if you're a spouse you'll be able to see and access different things than maybe if you're a retiree or if you're an internal employee. So people can be given the recommender role. And what that is, usually that's the peer support team and supervisors would have that role. So if I know that Brad and Austin went to a bad call, I can quickly just look up their names, hit recommend, choose from a list of reasons why. That's going to flag or notify the people on each of your individual teams because you may not have the same people on your team. And, um, they'll know not that I push the button, not that you push the button, but that you've been recommended by Austin because of critical incident. So again, it's just really increasing the speed, the efficiency of, of those check-ins, making it very easy for everyone from the supported person to the peer support, to the supervisor that wants to make sure the guys and gals are followed up with after the fact. Um, that's really nice. And we started to automate that through dispatch systems as well, starting to connect with the dispatch. And, you know, if a call meets a certain criteria, which the group can define, then we can just automatically have peer support follow up with them after, but always kind of respecting and going through that filter of who's on my list, my, my personal list. Yeah. I love that so much. I mean, that's been a huge issue is this preventative portion, right? Like I think this culture and mental health in general has been very reactive, mm-hmm. right? Which is we wait for a crisis to happen and then send a team to respond to that crisis, help them seek services at that point, wh- whatever it may be. And so this is something that I love in the fact that it's preventative, which is, hey, we're just going to check in on you to check in. Yeah. And we know that's a tough Yeah. Thing. And so that actually is a, a good lead into kind of the third way. And, and this one is really it's gaining a lot of traction. A lot of people are really appreciating it and we're getting real life stories of how it's, how it's really helped people is the proactive side of things. So what a group can do is they can set the maximum amount of time that someone could go between check-ins from the peer team. And so some of our groups, they'll set that for a year, let's say. And so if I don't push a button, no one recommends me, no one checks in on me, kind of fly under the radar and a year goes by, my name's going to pop up to my peer support team. And it will tell them this is a scheduled thing. So I'm not going to get called at three in the morning, but the peer that commits to that knows, okay, it's, it's just Nick's scheduled annual check-in. That's a different conversation. Again, the group can, can decide what that conversation looks like, but now we don't have anyone falling through the cracks. It's always kind of that safety net that keeps getting bumped back X amount of days to ensure everyone's met with. Um, so that's been really nice to, for people to have hundred percent coverage, be able to say to their, their committees or their wellness units, say, Hey, we met with everyone last year and, and here's some of the trends and things that we're finding, which we won't get into the reports, but there's different reports. They're all de-identified anonymized kind of thing so that you know what's going on in your organization. Um, further to that proactive, a really neat piece that as we've done recently is you can have different people, different roles on different timers. So if you have your new recruits, maybe you want them checked in on quarterly for their first year. If you have folks off on sick leave or disability, maybe you want them checked in every six months because they're kind of out of sight, out of mind. And the stories we hear is that those people often, um, the feedback is, Hey, you know, I went off on sick leave and no one, I got forgotten about on day two. So this really just helps to prompt the peer team to stay connected, to be engaged, Um, we find, we hear a lot of groups say we have this big peer team, but they're kind of just sitting and waiting for someone to call. And, and this really just engages and gets that conversation more normalized and more active amongst the group. That's, that's huge. Well, coming from a, from a culture of, uh, you know, of law enforcement, but specifically most of the first responder community is reaction based when the problem arises we deal with it uh we tackle it we bring you know the mantra of bringing calm to chaos is very relevant to the entire culture and when you bring that to um, a peer support team um, it's a little bit of a hurdle to actually start looking uh having a forward thinking uh unit and talk about preventative i really love this concept from specifically from you know i ran our uh, peer support team 
uh, with my agency for several years. And I love the concept of some of this scheduling, um, um, scheduling the interactions, scheduling the anniversaries, scheduling the appointments, scheduling the debrief, scheduling, um, what, what, can you tell me a little bit more about what that actually looks like? Because that's, that's intriguing to me about, um, you know, what, is it, is it calendar based? Is it, is it easily in input? Is it, what, what does that look like? Cause that's, that's, that's a very interesting part of, of this for a peer, peer support team coordinator or leader mm-hmm. to, um, because so many times that stuff falls through the cracks and then you realize a week out, Oh shit, I just missed an anniversary. Uh, or I just missed a debrief. Uh, we should have followed up with that one. There's so many times this stuff falls through the cracks. Can you, can you tell me, Nick, can you tell me a little bit more about what that for the listeners, maybe that's something that's really intriguing for them as well. Yeah, for sure. And our goal is to decrease the amount of kind of administrative work that a peer support coordinator has to do. Bless right? you. We want, yeah. And, and that really was the original goal. When that first group came in, it was like, we want to do more while doing less, if that makes sense, right? While doing less of the phone tag, less of the spreadsheets, trying to keep track of things. So this is kind of your your scheduling buddy in terms of you put people on those roles and let's say the default for your organization is yearly, but let's say you did have a critical incident on this date and you want a certain group of people, obviously the people that attended or were affected, you want them to be followed up with on that anniversary. You can do that. You can assign those people to this anniversary you know, you can schedule it however you want. Um, but then that's kind of it. You can then just trust that when that day comes, those people are, are going to be flagged for the people on their peer team. They'll know why they'll know it's an anniversary and those peers can commit to it and make that call. Um, we have a bit of a different process for when you're doing kind of group debriefings or diffusings and things like that. And, and there's obviously a multitude of different preferences, options, schools of thought. So we've tried to accommodate kind of everything that we've, we've come up with and really allow the coordinator to set things how they want and not forget about it, but allow those, those timers, those clocks to tick on their own, uh, and then just prompt people to do the task. So for the peer support, it's kind of nice too, because you are, you're being prompted. Um, let's say Austin, I was your peer support and we had a chat today and I said, you know what, is it okay if I check in with you in a couple of weeks just to see how you're doing? When I go to close off that request in the system after we've had our chat, which again is outside of the system, um, I can fill in a little form and the agency can choose what questions, you know, they can have one question or they can have 20. What's on that form? When you hit submit on that form as a peer support, it de-identifies, it strips the name from it and it just gives you a, a total aggregated report for that coordinator to say, Here's the trends. Here's what people are talking about, but never able to reattach who talked to whom or what they talked about. Um, but if I'm a peer support, having that conversation with you, Austin, there is a section on that form that almost all of our groups include, which is a follow-up. So I can just hit yes, type in 14 days, hit submit. Now in 14 days, two weeks goes by, my phone notifies you're scheduled for a follow-up with someone. So that's an automatic, like that's an autofill right? When you, when you, when I hear you saying that you're, I'm trying to picture in my mind, putting that in there. So that's an autofill, uh, an automatic part of your, input. you can, you can choose cause maybe I'm going away, but I want to make sure I connect with you in a month or maybe it's tomorrow or two days. Um, I can type in whenever I can pick a date or I can type in when I want to be prompted to follow up with you again as the peer. So for the peer support, they're not waking up in a month saying, I was supposed to follow, I was supposed to call someone. Oh, Austin. Yeah. Ooh, now it's awkward. It's been too long. Like he, he knows I forgot about him. Right. So this is just kind of, kind of that nagging support. The app itself is going to keep notifying you. And if you dismiss it, you can set as an organization, you can set some timers or you can set some notification rules. Um, it's going to pop up again. You know, you can't get rid of me that easily. You need to follow up with this person. Now you have some options and things you could, you could say, yeah, I did follow up and then fill out the form or whatever, but, uh, it's really nice for the coordinator and for the peer supports themselves just to kind of allow this thing to do their scheduling for them, uh, and make sure they're not kind of dropping any balls there. No, I, I love that. And there's something I want to jump into cause I know how important it is in this space. Let's talk about confidentiality mm-hmm. with this app. You know, what does that confidential standpoint look like because a lot of people are going to 
not want anyone to know that they reached out or, you know, it needs to be kind of a hush-hush situation, whatever it may be. So I know you talked a little bit earlier about, um, you know, it's not a chat on the app in mm-hmm. particular, but what else are you doing to really make sure that these these reach outs or these check-ins or these type of things stay confidential? Yeah, so so a few different ways, and obviously that's a huge that's a huge um, challenge that we had to overcome because we know that very few people are going to use this system if it doesn't meet that requirement, right? Obviously, uh, just because of the nature of the work, the nature of the the people that are involved. Mm-hmm. And so a few different ways we've kind of mitigated that in any of the stats or reports, um, there's no names attached. The only time we would actually attach a name um, is for the peer support team. And that is a request from user or from coordinators just to not to see who they met with, not to, you can't see who they met with, who, what they talked about, but you can just see, okay, last year, Austin did 28 check-ins and Brad did 25. Okay. That's really good. Or no, Austin did 50. Brad did two. I better go talk to Austin, make sure he's doing okay. Cause he's kind of carrying the load. Right. So for that coordinator to be able to actually manage their team and the health of their team, make sure people aren't getting burned out kind of establish, maybe we're going to do a two year on two year off kind of thing. Um, so to give them, give the coordinator some metrics as to how the team is doing, but again, not how many times me as a, as a frontline officer or medic or firefighter reached out, um, asking for support. So, so all the stats, all the reports and everything are de-identified. Again, if you were to push that button, it's only going to the group that you've pre-selected that you're comfortable with, um, potentially taking that call and, and committing to you. And then once someone has, then it's going away for the other people. So they don't see. Um, and then, yeah, it's been, we've actually had a lot of groups ask, can we have the chat in this system? And it's technically not a problem to do, uh, the previous software company that we had, we built texting chat systems and, and everything. It's not that difficult, but we've kind of so far stuck firm on, you don't actually want that. You know, your legal department at the city doesn't want that and your union doesn't want that. So even though potentially it could be an easier use case just to do the chatting right in there, we've kind of stuck to no, you're still going to meet for coffee. You're still going to, we'll give you that person's phone number so that it's easy for you once you commit to it to see how they prefer to be connected because each person in their profile, they can put, I prefer to be texted at this number or no, I prefer to be called at this number. So they can choose who's responding and how, which is nice, but that conversation takes place outside of the system. So someone, even if someone gained access or, you know, looked over the coordinator's shoulder, they couldn't see anything, any kind of requests or responses from an individual. And that's, that's so important, right? Like we, we need to make sure that these issues and these things that people are facing are Mm -hmm. confidential. And so, you know, I, I know that they can reach out directly to a peer support member. There's also a huge part of this that I was doing a little research on last night and then also chatted with you a little bit before, but, uh, just resources that you, that are available on the site. I know you guys talk about, um, you know, PTSI, depression, substance abuse, harm reduction, prevention resources. What does that look like for somebody? Because sometimes they are going to want to reach out on their own to a different resource and find a solution that way. Yeah, exactly. So so we've talked mostly so far about the peer support kind of dispatch or rec- mechanism, which is which is the heart of it. And we're kind of still the only ones doing that side of things. Now, obviously, there's a lot of websites. There's different wellness apps. There's different places you can find resources, right? We've taken um, kind of a, an interesting or a different approach to that in that groups can decide, they can kind of be the ones to curate what goes in front of my members. They can add their own resources and listings, or they can choose and kind of follow groups from a shared collaborative space in the back end. So you can see, let's say, you know, you were, or Brad, you were the coordinator at your department previously. You could say, well, our, our local EAP that we use is actually a local clinician. I want to make that person's uh, post kind of our main one in the resource bank. You can add photos, videos, description, tag, put it on a map. You can do all this kind of stuff. Really, really nice, get very detailed. But then you say, we don't really have a lot of um, treatment center options around here. I wonder what's available. You can then go browsing in the shared kind of resource or contributor library and see, okay, this group has one down in Florida. This one has one in Georgia. This one has one in California. 
read about them, say, I like this. I think this would be good for our members. You can then pull that into the resource bank for your particular department. Now, individuals, they can kind of go browsing as well. But when it comes to what your group has stamped, you can kind of choose, hey, these are the ones that are maybe most in closest proximity. Maybe our benefits cover this one. You can kind of have it in front of people so that they know because there's nothing worse than this. We learned this really early on and this is not to criticize other you know, um, methods of doing things, but one, one 800 number is good. 1000, one 800 numbers are not a thousand times better. They, they're not a thousand times worse, but they might be right. So we don't want to overwhelm people just with, Hey, here's the world's largest resource bank because that's Google. And that's not really helpful when you're trying to be contextual to my situation as a first responder in, you know, state X. So so it's a very dynamic um, resource and contributor library. We just recently actually brought someone on board full time to reach out to partners, to service providers, to clinicians, to treatment centers. And those groups can actually, they can create their own listings now in Peer Connect in the back, and they have to keep them up to date. So another problem we've heard is that, okay, we, we created this beautiful database. Here's all the resources. Maybe it's on a bulletin board. Maybe it's in an app or a website. And six months later, oh, did they move? Oh, is that clinician still in business? Is that still the phone number? This is a very dynamic living database that the service providers themselves are prompted every X number of months. We're kind of playing with it right now, but you've got to keep your listing active so that when someone does take that big step of reaching out, they're not getting you know a dead phone signal or, uh, or the website is 404, right? So we're building that side in a bit of a different model, a um, bit more of like a crowdsourced model um, for people to to add their services and for groups to kind of endorse them as, yeah, this is a good one. We're going to pull this into our system. I love that. So basically what you're saying is someone can create it themselves in their area, their specific area of the department or city or whatever it may be, but then they can also access anyone's nationally or, you know, whether it's Canada or the U S or whatever it may be and, and see those different options. Yeah, exactly. So they may want to view them on a map. They may want to search by, you know, I need some help with substance abuse and I want a substance abuse treatment center here. The, the sorting engine is very powerful. And obviously as more and more groups start um, providing, as we have this new person on staff now, that's, that's engaging the contributors and the, the service providers and, and they are creating their own profiles and putting their own offerings in there. It's just, it's really growing. And that, that's something that'd be a nice thing. If, if this podcast, if listeners heard about that and you say, Hey, we work with a local clinician or we have a local EAP kind of service through our hospital or through our insurance. Um, if they want to get in touch with us and get their listings in there, that's really great because again, taking the burden off the, the peer coordinator to ensure that these are up to date, that the information's accurate, you know? Hey, we have 50, 50 resources in our kind of old guidebook. I don't want to have to type all those 50 out again, right? Uh, or, or every year ensure that they're all up to date. So this is kind of doing the work for you. You can kind of just follow groups. You can automatically import them. But you might say, hey, Brad himself is a great trainer, a great uh, clinician. Maybe he's a peer support trainer. Let's, I'm going to make my own listing on that and include that there. So kind of best of both worlds. Create it yourself or follow groups that you trust. You know, you, you, you've obviously done a lot of homework on this because that, you know, using Austin's metaphor, the phone weighs a thousand pounds and when they're in crisis, they don't want a ton of options on who to go to. Uh, you've, you've obviously done some great research in that aspect, uh, keeping the choices simple for those people that really need, need the help right now. Um, how about a really, a uh, little more difficult conversation? I, I'm trying to think of questions that actually a peer support, um, coordinator or team lead would be asking what uh is there a cost is there a cost to this uh for agencies to bring this on board what if that is what are what kind of challenges does an agency have and probably you already have solutions on how to overcome some of those challenges yeah so we base um we base our cost on the agency size um so basically just number of employees it's it's pretty reasonable we feel compared to other offerings other other things that are out there um we would call the employees. So if your, your group had 200 staff, we would, we would bid or we would quote on 200 people. Um, but any other of those external or peripheral type folks, 
um, they're at no charge and they have access to certain sections or or specific resources, which would be peripheral like, would be retirees, spouses, family, spouses, retirees, significant yep. others. Yeah. Yeah. We have had in the past, uh, well, I think they still do. We've had some groups use it for recruiting as well. Um, like, hey, download the app, follow us. Um, you can kind of, um, you can apply or you can basically say, hey, I'm interested in this group. Um, and then it's, if someone is a, an interested recruit, they don't get access, obviously, to everything that, a, that an employee would get. They don't ac- get access to that one button peer team kind of thing. But you as the coordinator, um, you could maybe say, hey, here's a good article they should know about before they get involved. And I'm going to share that with the new recruits specifically or with potential recruits specifically. Or here's an event we're having for the spouses. I want to share that with the role, people who have the role of spouse specifically. So again, it's very contextualized. When I log in, when I'm added to a service that um, brings Peer Connect on, the role or roles I have determine what shows up for me. Um, so I'm not overwhelmed. So I know, okay, this is exactly, this is the spousal support group for my organization. Uh, I'm not, you know, searching forever through mountains of information. And then to the second part of your point, uh, definitely this Peer Connect in collaboration or conjunction with training and different things uh, meets a lot of grant requirements. We've had a lot of our groups come on board with grants, at least maybe for the first year, and then they make it operational uh, in the budget after that. Um but one of the one of the nice things that we've we've heard and we've built as as more more groups use it is the reports and stats that you get out of this that show that your peer team is engaged that show here's the needs again de-identified those are almost the ticket to ensuring sustainable funding and ensuring that you can prove to whoever's um, paying for not just the app but paying for your whole peer team right paying for a coordinator position paying for ongoing training and maintenance for the peer team members. Um, you, you're not collecting this on a spreadsheet. You're basically looking at it in the back, hitting export and saying, here's what we did last year. Here's our numbers. They're looking really good. Here's the areas of concern. Um, and so that really we've had groups say, Hey, that helped me secure next year's grant or a three-year grant or whatever. Um, so it's, it, that's really been important as well, because even if it's not grant-based, you as the coordinator, you want to know what's going on. You want to know how to better serve. You want to know if the size of your peer team is appropriate for how many people they're serving and how many interactions they're doing. So, I found so many incredible challenges running a peer support team uh, based on confidentiality and that delicate balance of knowing what to report and when and how and leaving names on, leaving names off, scheduling, uh, who has access to, I mean, it just sounds like you've really done a lot of work and got some really great input on how to put uh, such a great program together. Um, look, I want to circle back to the resource piece and just for, just for definition, for simplifying for our listeners. So, so the resource, uh, as what I was kind of looking on your website, it looks like it's a, maybe a, maybe a tab in and of itself. Uh, mm-hmm. and then you, then you, it's a, push tab in categories of resources. Is that fair? Is that, and I kind of heard you talking about that a while ago. So training, um, uh, treatment centers, uh, relationship, maybe spiritual. Can you talk a little bit about that kind of how that is organized and how that kind of can unfold for somebody that maybe is considering looking at this program? Yeah, definitely. And, and what you were speaking of previously is really important that all of these ideas really have come from from people using it right have come from the needs of the people using it and we're still we're very active on the development side still we have a a very robust full-time development team working on this right now we're on monthly releases with new features so it's just it's really um, pushing strong on that side we've just recently kind of redesigned the resource side to split it into a few more kind of granular approaches so there's a resource library where you can go and read articles watch videos again with different tags of a category a keyword people can search and and organize Um, You know, if you're looking for something on Amazon, it's kind of similar to that in terms of you got your higher level category or theme, then you can get more specific. So there's the resources library, then there's the services and services would be treatment centers and um, clinicians and different things that I, I'm not just reading about it. I actually want to engage with this service provider. Um, Again, the service providers can create their own listings or coordinators or system admins can create them on their behalf. 
Um, and so, yeah, if you're looking for a specific um, type of service, uh, you have a specific stressor or problem you're dealing with um, as a user or as a coordinator that you're saying, it looks like from our stats of when people are meeting with the peer support team, our number one issue facing us right now is this. I want to go search in the back and see what's available that I can put in front of our staff because I know we have a large percentage of people that are struggling with this area. So you can categorize that by however you want. If you want to base it on uh, strategic uh, resource pieces or uh, wellness sectors, uh, a, a peer support coordinator mm -hmm. or an agency can tailor this to their agency. Is that, is that yeah. fair? Yeah. So we do have some universal kind of themes or, or categories, um, and you can, you can create your own as well, but there's a few different models that we follow. And I, I probably wouldn't off the top of my head know the exhaustive list, but I know like with the IAFF, they have, um, five pillars. Um, so we're, we're modeling after that. Um, so you can kind of sort that way. There's some other groups that have different, um, kind of pillars. So we've looked at all of that kind of took a big inventory of what are the main ones and made sure that our category, our universal categories will match that. So when you're creating a new, a new service or a new resource, um, you kind of can, when you're building that entry, you're looking and saying, yeah, it's this, it matches this, it matches this. Maybe I want to add a few keywords as well that someone might type in when they're looking for such a service. You can also define if you're creating a resource, who the target, um, audience is for it. So this is more for spouses or more for new recruits or more for whomever. That's awesome. Brad, I want to, I want to chat with you a second on this and I want to put you back in your peer support role. Uh, and I want to see what your thought process is behind how you feel about utilizing this. If you were still in that space, exactly. Cause you didn't have anything like this. There wasn't anything like this available and you had a lot of roadblocks. You had a lot of issues getting buy-in from people. I'm sure. I mean, where are your thoughts at with this right now? So one thought that jumps out to me immediately is that we're in a digital age. We're in a digital culture of uh, a young workforce. Uh, I hear old timers talk about this all the time. Nobody meets for coffee anymore. Uh, they're, they're getting their phones out. They're texting their partners. They're texting their loved ones. They're texting, you know, whatever they're connected through social media. I think this, you can't combat that by saying, you know, we all need to go to coffee. That's just not happening, uh, especially in the law enforcement culture. I, l I love the concept that, uh, you know, first response mental health is actually looking at all these different sectors of uh, first responders. Law enforcement, uh, pretty unique in that you're just kind of out there by yourself. Uh, so you, you have several disadvantages right off the bat with, um, with the mental health piece. Um, you know, and arguably whatever, whatever else you want to put out there, you're, you're alone. So I love the concept that you actually are, you have access to, um, you know, I'm holding my phone right now. I have access to it right now with my phone. I love this concept, Nick, that, that this is where, so, so that's one piece. Uh, the other piece is a frontline peer support. Uh, if I'm, if I'm doing the work as a peer support, uh, personnel attached to my agency, there's so much, uh, freedom now of not having to worry um, how I'm getting my name out there of how I get, because that was one of the challenges when I taught and built peer support teams. How do we, how do we market ourselves? How do we let everybody know uh, and still be confidential, but let everybody know that, Hey, Austin's the newest member of the peer support team. How does Austin do that? Well, now you have an avenue and a mechanism, a delivery system to be able to say, Hey, Austin's one of the peer support guys. And to your point, Nick, uh, right at the beginning of the conversation, um, you look at this and say, holy shit, I didn't realize Austin was even on there. I like that guy. I trust that guy. I want to have a conversation with that guy. Uh, or maybe the opposite. You know, I don't, I knew Austin was on there. I don't want to talk to him. I didn't know Nick was on there. I want to talk to Nick instead. Those, I, I think that's a much more valuable, uh, piece of the pie than what we realize because there's a, there's a nuance of trust out there in the field with all these first responders, all of them, uh, that is, uh, not often talked about, but it is heavy. It is a big piece of, the, of all of these cultures. Um, and then, you know, off the cuff, just lastly, I would say as a peer, 
team coordinator, um, man, one of the quotes, uh, and I'll just, I'll just say it. One of the quotes on the website was, uh, immediate access to care and the reduction of time as a peer support coordinator, those two bullets alone within that quote just really jump out of me. Um, because man, the, the access to care is so that's a challenge as a peer coordinator, getting those resources out to the field, to the peer team, to the, to the person in crisis or to the families in need, to the spouse, to the retiree. And then on, you know, on the heels of that, reducing that time, eliminating that, you know, they're in crisis. So now we've taken seven days to get to them between finding out they were in crisis, figuring out who can actually talk to them, finding out where they are, what resources they actually need, because early on you're guessing through this, you know, this channel of, of verbal communication and this app, uh, really has a feel like it eliminates a lot of that. Um, so yeah, that's my, that's my initial thoughts with it. I mean, that's just kind of right off the cuff of, of looking at this. I, I think it's amazing concept. Well, and it's, it's 24 hours. I mean, so it, you know, how is, I'm, I'm assuming that if it, you are a peer support member and somebody reaches out at 3am needing to talk about suicidal ideation or stuff, there's a notification system that works like it, are they are they being notified like via text as the peer support member if somebody's reaching out or, or is it through the app itself what's that yeah like? so groups can kind of set how they want to do that uh, primarily it's a push notification so your phone buzzes it says peer connect someone has requested support um, then groups can also choose to add like text on top or email on top so you can really kind of make sure that phone's going off uh, in that that scenario now another thing that happens is uh, if you have a smaller team or maybe, you know, people aren't available, um, we don't want that to just sit there either, right? So you as a group can define, okay, if no one takes it within this amount of time, what's going to happen? Well, it's going to, we call it an escalation. It's going to go to these people um, because that much time has gone by. And there's different messaging in the app, right? With people, you, you can actually, not to get into all of it, but you can request someone individually if you want. Um, but we kind of give a disclaimer Hey, you're, you're reaching out to this person. We're going to, we're going to notify them. Um, but they may not be available. So just so you know, it may take longer or we may redirect you to try someone else if, if a certain amount of time goes by. So obviously those kind of, um, you know, stop gaps or, or those situations require a different, uh, approach, but we, we have a decent enough track record of groups using it, of real, real time situations of feedback from our coordinators that, and it's not perfect yet, but we've, we've been able to make these changes, um, to kind of accommodate all those scenarios. You know, rare is the occasion where that actually happens between the eight to five Monday through Friday window and it mm -hmm. seldom ever happens. So it's, it's, you know, if it's, I got a phone call on uh, Thanksgiving afternoon, I've got a gun in one hand and a drink in the other, and I'm not sure which I'm going to use first. That was, that was after a Thanksgiving meal. Uh, those are, those mm -hmm. are not, uh, common phone calls that you're going to accept. Hey, I don't want to talk to this guy right now, but I can see coming through the app. Uh, you're like, okay, this is a, this is a crisis deal. Somebody's reaching out, you know, uh, those, those domestic violence situations, those don't happen during the day. Those happen late at mm -hmm. night on the weekends, all those, all those things where people get themselves in a bind and, and they're in crisis. It's, it's just rare that it's, uh, you know, at, at opportune times, so mm -hmm. I love the concept of that that crisis piece. Yeah. And to your point too, um, traditionally you would have your peer support team, you'd have their names and phone numbers, you know, on a website or on the, on the bulletin board, um, for the peer support, your feelings there, Brad, I, you know, I just put my kids to bed. I've had a terrible day myself. I sure hope my phone doesn't ring, but my phone numbers plastered around all six bases, right? And so for the peer support, they have some more autonomy now of, okay, now I'm settled. Now, if I get buzzed on, through the app that someone has requested support, I will take it. But knowing that it's kind of distributed to a team where I'm not always, that phone is not going to directly ring and that person is counting on me specifically, that's some feedback that we've gotten that for the peers, it actually almost encourages more people to take that peer training because they understand, okay, you know, I'm not now hundred percent on the hook for having my name all over the place, um, that someone can directly reach out to me when I'm not, you know, in the best place either, whether that's pra practically or emotionally. 
I was going to say, I mean, we I've had this conversation, especially over the last month with, you know, a training that Brad is putting on is that nobody cares about the peer support members, what it seems like to them, which is they are left to pick up the pieces 24 seven. And, you know, a lot of the times this is a volunteer position, depending on mm -hmm. department size and whatever it may be. And people don't, people can't take that on. They're burnt out by, you know, after a year after six months, whatever it may be, especially if they are good at that position, people are going to continually reach out and they don't want to do it anymore. Like, and that's fair. I mean, Justin Phoenix, right? The EAU unit, mm -hmm. Brad, it was, it was very evident that it was tough for people to stay in that position for a long time because of the, the, you know, mental demands that are put on them. So it seems to me like you're exactly right, Nick and, and Brad, tell me if I'm wrong, but more people would want to do this if they knew they they weren't on the hook all the time and they still had time to take care of themselves. So true. When I came into, uh, when I came into the peer support world, uh, one of the veteran old hands had been doing a long time by himself on call 24 seven, uh, told me, he said, there is a shelf life to this. Uh, and he said, I passed it long ago. He said, I'm burnt. I'm done. I'm ruined. I can't let up though. I'm the only guy. Uh, so peer, most peer teams, that are being built now are being built within that uh, wisdom structure of lessons learned, uh, burnout. However, it's still real. Um, and some of that's dependent upon the peer support member itself to give good feedback and be self-aware enough to say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm overloaded. Uh, and it happens all the time. We see it all the time. You don't know where your limit is until you've gone past your limit. And then that's recognizing uh, okay, I, I passed my limit. I need to be cognizant and aware of that. Um, all the time when your passion outruns your your infrastructure, you're doomed to fail. Uh, and that's no different than than a peer support team as a whole, a peer support member. Um, and no, I think you're I think you're exactly right uh, in that concept. Uh, Nick, in relationship to or did I answer that question, uh, Austin? Did I, okay? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. In relationship to this, um, if they want to sign up, how do they get a, how do they, where do they find you? How do they get a look at this? Uh, if, if listeners out there saying, yeah, I'd like to, I'm intrigued. I, I want to know more. How do they, how do they find you? How do they get a look at this? What, what can they do? Yeah. So, um, we're, we're just getting started again on the conference circuit after that, uh, two and a half year interruption we all had. So we are more present at conferences again now. Um, but primarily, uh, first response MH as in mentalhealth.com. And there's a contact form right on the website where you can basically book a demo right there. Uh, and that's with a couple of members of our team, often it's with myself and, um, someone else. And we'll walk you through how it works, answer questions. And the first part of that meeting, generally it's an hour long meeting. The first part is always spent understanding what, what does that group A, have in place already? And then B, where do they want to go? They maybe have heard a lot about the system. Maybe they have no idea. They just Googled peer support app or something and, and booked a meeting with us. Um, so, so before we get into, you know, all the nuts and bolts and features and everything, we really want to understand what do you have in place? What's working? What are you missing? Oftentimes it is probably the majority of the times when I talk to a group that already has a peer support team in place, it's, I don't really know what we're doing. I don't have the reporting, the stats. I'm trying to get, you know, paper forms back. I call all the peers once a month and say, did you meet with anyone last month? And then I put it on my spreadsheet and that's fine. That's, that's all you can do if you don't have a system that's managing that. Um, that's what the original group was doing. And then they realized maybe there's, you know, maybe there's something we can actually automate and put processing and build some reports out of this. So that does seem to be a very um, high demand feature that, that the system has. So we'll walk through, what are you doing? Where are you going? Then, then we'll show them the system and then have a discussion about, okay, what does this look like for you to get us set up with a group does not take long uh, technically. Um, but we, we, we like to train the people, um, train the peer support coordinator, how to be a system admin, train the peer team, um, which is kind of fun. Actually, it's, it's usually just the over zoom or something, train that peer team, how to request, how to recommend, how to commit, how to, how to talk to each other. So oftentimes groups will leave that open for a week or two where the peer team is just trying it out amongst themselves, playing with it, getting to understand. They kind of then become the ambassadors to the rest of the department that, you know, in a few weeks time after that. We get it all set up to roll out. We have QR codes, posters, email templates, 
for for that wellness unit to say, okay, folks, here's how we're going to do things. Here's your new option um, for resources for wellness for the getting a hold of the peer support team. Here's the FAQs because they're going to be FAQs. You know, oh, you want me to use an app to push a button to request peer support? Obviously, we hear those all the time. So we we equip that team, that unit, that peer coordinator with all the materials they need to be um, successful in a launch. And then one other thing I'd like to mention is because it's just been so neat is we've started up, we call it coordinator connections and we do that every quarter. So all the, all the peer support coordinators, all the system admins, we get them together, uh, spring, summer, fall, winter, and we either explain maybe a new feature of the system, or we have one of them, uh, be the guest speaker and talk about a scenario that they use the app. Maybe they had a critical incident. Maybe they had um, a proactive reach out that went really well because the person opened up and, you know, they were considering some things. And so, and it's just a nice networking um, event because often with most groups, you have a peer support coordinator, maybe they're full-time, maybe they're part-time, maybe they're volunteer on it. Uh, and they're kind of in a silo in their department. There's usually, maybe there's two or three in a really big department. Um, but oftentimes there's not right. So to network and see what other people are doing, how other groups are, are using the app or, or building their peer support team or what trainer did you use or what model do you follow? That's been really neat too, to connect those folks that are often kind of on their own within their department. And this is first off, I'm going to recommend whoever's listening. If they, if they are interested in this to, to check out the website, get in contact, start that process uh, I'm assuming a first initial phone call isn't a commitment, oh, uh, for sure. you know, just look into that. So I, before we wrap up, and this has been great because it's such an awesome resource uh, for first responders, where are you guys available? I know you started in Canada and I'm sure people have heard that uh, nice little twinge you got in your voice. And so I want to make sure people understand where this is available. Yeah. So definitely we started in Ontario, Canada and, um, but we do, we have basically two versions, two um, separate servers. So encrypted server in the US for American clients in Canada for Canadian clients. So the data and all that stuff is not a problem. Can generally get uh, groups set up no matter where they are. In North America currently, we haven't crossed the pond or, or gone below that. We've had some interest from overseas, but right now we're just kind of focused on building because it's it's so collaborative and it's so about connecting people um, that we don't want to really you know, overstretch and, and get into different areas, but we do kind of go from coast to coast in both the U S and Canada. Right now we have, we have client organizations all over the place. So I love the, uh, I love the coordinator connection. Uh, when we were putting peer teams together, uh, I would, I would really encourage coordinator collaboration, uh, and, and put the team leads, uh, in connection with each other because there's so much learning that could be done and that's a peer to peer in, in and of itself. Right. So, yeah. uh, you, you, you get this collaboration going because there's this community is so unique. One call is never the same as the next. Uh, but I, I, I absolutely love what you're doing there. And, and I know we're wrapping up, but I'm going to give you a little bit of, I'm going to throw you a softball pitch here <laughs> because I, I'd, I'd really love to hear some of the feedback. Uh, give your, this is a, this is a brag opportunity. What, what, what kind of feedback are those coordinators giving on this app? What are, what are they saying? Yeah, um, we've had, so there's obviously different kinds of feedback in terms of how it has just made their life easier to manage a team. Uh, that's been a big one, obviously, just the hours spent, uh, which we can actually quantify with a couple groups. It's been high percentages, like percentages I didn't actually believe. Someone said like, oh, 90% of my time has been freed up. I said, no, that's not really true. He said, yeah, because look what I used to do. I used to have to follow up after every incident, after every call of a certain type, make sure that I've then I follow up with the peer support that is all taken care of now through this system where I just kind of, I'm kind of just watching, I'm hovering over the control saying, okay, no, nothing's escalating. Nothing is needing my attention. It's all kind of running itself. Um, so now that peer coordinator is free to meet with more people to look at the trends and maybe gather some more resources or get some more resiliency training in-house, things like that. So that's been a big one. One of my favorite stories, and it's kind of, um, it was not near the start, but it was one of our first clients. They enacted or they enabled that proactive check-in. So they set it for six months. And so they launched, six months went by, people started to come up for the proactive check-in. And uh, this coordinator called me. I was actually, um, I was out of town for work and she called and she said, 
I just had to tell you, we did our first round of proactive reach outs and it was kind of awkward actually, to be honest, like people just getting a random call, but you know, it was well received. People said, oh, thanks for checking in. That's kind of a nice surprise. She said, but one of our peers reached out to someone, a young um, paramedic, and uh, they said, oh yeah, you know, it's, it's fine. I'm good. You know, don't worry about me. Thanks for checking. And two days later, that same person called back and said, you know what? I've been thinking about it. I wasn't fine when you called. And now that you've reached out, I'm, you know, I'm ready to get some help. Like, how can you help me? And so whether that person would have eventually reached out, maybe what would happen, no one knows. But the fact that that, that the system prompted the person to reach out to that young person, um, and to, and for them then to consider it and then call back and get the help they needed, that was like all the motivation we needed for sure. So that, that was really exciting to hear that. Such a great win that, mm-hmm. that, that's a common, uh, that's a common, that's some common feedback, uh, that's been said when you check out and I think, uh, check on people, uh, kind of goes back to that old adage of no one cares how much, you know, until they know how much you care. Uh, once you make that phone call, you've made a connection and, and reestablished, Hey, I care about you enough to make a phone call. Um, but I'll, I'll go back to that 90%. I believe it. I believe that 90%, uh, you're, you're talking to two guys who are living and dying by the phone. And, and oftentimes when you're in the, the suck of the phone, uh, you're not doing anything proactive, uh, mm-hmm. and, and preventative of sorts. You're just, you're just in the reaction phase and it goes back to the original first part of this, uh, podcast, which is we live in that reaction phase. So it's easy to kind of fall back there. Um, so I, I, I could not, I'm not surprised by that. I'm not surprised mm-hmm. by that. Nick, thank you so much for this. This has been uh, really enlightening and thank you so much for what you're doing for this community on behalf of the community itself uh, and the peer support community as well. Thank you so much for uh, what you're offering up here. And uh, I would just encourage uh, a lot of the listeners to give Nick and his program a look. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Thanks and a lot. That's, that's what it is. I mean, it, it's a legitimate source, you know, and that's, that's something that we want to make sure and, and get out there is that this is this is something that can be a solution to a lot of issues. I, I mean, I've seen them at very legitimate wellness conferences um, connected that way. That's how we mm-hmm. we met, you know, someone from your organization for this podcast specifically. And so to the people that are listening, head to the website, learn more about what they do, you know, open up a conversation. That's That's the reality is all of this stuff has to start one way or another. And it's one peer support member who may be burned out who needs help, who needs to, to wants to take care of their people. And this is an opportunity to mm-hmm. do that. And I will say the funny thing is that since we've started, my wife has actually become an EMS dispatcher. So now it's like, oh, now it's especially close to home. So, so it is, it is motivating yeah. for sure. And that's one thing too, right there is, is people always wonder what the motivation is behind it. And and a lot of people will say, Hey, they, they're just in it for the, the almighty dollar. But the, the resources that you guys have made available and the context that you have created through this proves that, you know, hey, we're just here to help mm-hmm. people, right? Like that's that's the bottom line is, you know, the confidentiality, the, you know, retirement resources, the, the treatment options with therapists, with everything. I mean, that's, you know, you're not getting paid directly by these people to be on on the app, I'm assuming. Nope. And so it's just there for 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 people to, to see what they can do to get help. Yep, definitely. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys, for the opportunity. It was great to chat with you. Nick, thanks for coming on. Thank you for listening to this segment of No One Fights Alone. We want to give a special shout-out to our sponsors of this episode, Chateau Recovery and First Responder Trauma Counselors. Chateau Recovery is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's First Responder Resiliency Program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. Chateau's comprehensive and individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues, it addresses the why. Each of their trauma-trained, and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. 
Chateau Recovery is trusted by departments and agencies from around the county to treat responders and veterans, in fact it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information, or to speak to a representative, go to chateaurecovery.com or call 888-507-5031. First responder trauma counselors are subject matter experts in proactive behavioral health care for frontline workers through their National Peer Support Academy. This 40-hour, all badges, all uniforms, all scrubs, educational experience, helps you create caring, honest, and empathetic peer support relationships with your fellow frontline workers. FRTC's National Peer Support Academy is taught by actual first responders who have gone back to school to become culturally competent licensed behavioral health clinicians, who teach from lived experience not just theories from books. This fast-paced, immersive, educational academy will not just change your life, it will help you save the lives of others. For additional details go to their website 911overwatch.org or contact First Responder Trauma Counselors at 970-222-4193, this could be the most life-changing academy you'll ever attend.